Thank you so much. Tracy and I, we just love being here. So on this occasion, we're here for the first birthday of our granddaughter, Kiara, which we'll celebrate this afternoon. And I know that when Tracy and I are making plans to come to Brisbane for any sort of an occasion, we're always like, we get to go to Pine Rivers. And, and we love that. And we really do. That it, Kirk is, is right in what he says. There's a, a, a love that God has placed in, in my heart and I believe our heart for this church. And, and obviously, you're beautiful people. Like, how, what's not to love, right? And it's led by our dear friends, Kirk and Nicole, and we've shared a, a long journey together over many years of, of friendship and kingdom adventure. And so we love to come and unite with them in this place in worship, which was, again was so beautiful this morning. But more than that, there's something that I, I, I see in the spirit in this church is that your heart to make the mysteries of the kingdom of God accessible to all people. I love that. I love that. And I'll sign up for that every day. Even in my failings, I'll say, Lord, help me sign up for that again. One, you know, the scariest verse in the, in the scriptures, at least to me, is in Matthew 23, 13, where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he says to them, you don't enter the kingdom of God yourselves, and then you hinder those who are trying to enter in. And I'm like, whoa, God, please never, never let that be me. Let me just provide open doors of opportunity and invitation to say the kingdom of God is present. It's here and now. The love of God is here and now. It's a gift for you. It's flowing in waves of mercy already here in worship this morning. Just step in. Just step in. So the scariest thing for me when I come to preach anywhere, but I think particularly here in Pine Rivers Vineyard, is I just don't want to get in the way of that. I just don't want too many words to complicate or cloud what God is already and so obviously doing. So it really is. So when Kirk says, would you like to preach? I'm like, you're kidding me? Really? I, I get to preach at your church? That's like, I don't know, I got the golden ticket. Like it's, but then it comes with a lot of nerves too. So I, I love that we're in the Easter season. So we're going to continue with that in John chapter 21. If you have a, a scripture there, you can turn to or open on your phone. John chapter 21, it starts with the word, it says afterwards. What John is meaning by that is after the resurrection of Jesus and after his two appearings. So he's appeared on the day of resurrection on Easter Sunday, which we celebrated last Sunday. He appeared to his disciples in the upper room there. And then a week later, he appeared uh, when they were gathered there again and, and Thomas was present this time. And so John is saying afterwards, after these two events... This has happened, and Jesus comes and appears for the third time. So given that, this, in this context, they've traveled to Galilee, which is about 75 miles north of Jerusalem. They've walked there, so it's got to take a couple of days at least. So we can, we can gather this is probably nearly two weeks after Resurrection Sunday when this event happens, give or take, a day or two. Afterward. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the, by the Sea of Tiberias. And it happened this way, that Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, I will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, by the, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not too far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and he had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? But you must follow me. Have you ever been lost? A few years ago, yeah, a few nods in the head. A few years ago, I, I did my rites of passage out here at Somerset Dam. Maybe I've shared this story before. We're kind of west of Brisbane, right? And on the last day of, the, of this ritual, this retreat, we're told to go spend a day in the bush just meeting with yourself and meeting with God. And so I did and I prepared myself well and, you know, in spirit and soul and had water with me. And I, I went out and just go find a spot in the bush and just sit there was the instructions. So I went to the end of the fire trail and I thought, no, surely the holy place is beyond the fire trail. So I went a little bit longer down this kind of small goat track and I'm like, surely the holy place where God will meet me is just a little bit further and I found a creek and I'm like, surely the holy place is just up from the creek. So I turned and went up the mountain a little ways and there I found my holy spot where I sat for the day. And by about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, well, it's probably time for me to head back, but that's easy, just head down the mountain, hit the creek, turn left, find the goat track, find the fire trail and home. Head down the mountain, I'm like, 
I'm not sure if I've passed the creek or if it's still to come, but I'll just turn left. So I turned left and kind of finding my way through the bush and, and I got to the end of this kind of ravine that was met by a brick, like, sorry, a, a rock wall and just lantana bushes all around. And I had that sinking feeling. Do you know the one where you're like, I'm lost and I'm out of control and this is not where I want to be and I don't know the way forward. I literally had to take my backpack and throw it over bushes, then crawl under lantana, and I had all thorns all over me. Finally, I found a, a, a knoll where I could climb up to and I could see down to the ravine. I found a farmhouse. I went down there. I was covered. I didn't look very good at all, and this lady met me, and she goes, oh, you need to go that way. <laughs> really quickly go that way. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever got to that place where you're like, I feel out of control and I don't know, even know how I quite got here, but I know I don't know the way forward. Maybe you haven't been lost in the bush with me. Maybe you've been geographically misplaced while you've been driving and you're like, I don't need the sat-nav, I'll get there. And Sorry, husbands, if you just got an elbow to the ribs then, but it happens and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know where I am. Or maybe, maybe you're not geographically misplaced. Maybe financially you've got to that place where you're like, I don't know the way forward. I had a budget, I had a plan. I know that as a subcontractor, as an electrician, where I've had like six months of work promised to me ahead and I'm like, that'll work well. We finish one project, we step into that next project and that night receive a phone call from the builder to say the finance didn't come through, the project's finished. That morning I'm like, I've hit that rock wall and I'm covered with lantana bushes. I don't know the way forward. Maybe it's not... Financially, maybe it's relationally where you've, you've found someone, maybe a life partner, you've promised to, to be together forever and it's going really well until one of you says, this is not working for me anymore. Or even worse, I've found someone else and maybe they give you the George Costanza line that, hey, it's not you, it's me. And that doesn't help at all, does it? But needless to say, you have that sinking feeling. It's like, well, where to from here? I don't know how I got here and I don't know the way forward. I, I feel that anxiety of being lost. There's a, there's a spiritual loss too. What Peter was experiencing. Where maybe the circumstances in your life have changed and it's changed for the, your detriment and you've had a faith in God and you, you reach out to Him and you cry out to Him and you, you feel like you're doing the right things but God is silent and not answering your prayers. And you're like, God, where are you here in my time of need? Then I need you more than ever. Maybe you've been in church and, and, and someone in the church betrayed your trust or, or you found that there was a group that were gossiping about you and you've been wounded and you're like, I don't know where to go now, God. And, and as I cry out in prayer, all you hear is just crickets. It's like, God, where are you? There's a, there's a spiritual loss that St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, where the God that you thought you had a faith in is not being the God that you want him to be or acting as the God that you thought he would act. And you find yourself in this wrestle with God of saying, I can't let go, but then I don't know where I'm going because I feel like I've just hit a rock wall spiritually, God, and you're not who I thought you were or you're not doing what I thought you would do. And you find yourself lost. That's where we find Peter in John chapter 21. In this spiritual lost, in this dark night of the soul. Where 
if you think about his last three years and particularly the last couple of weeks, he'd, he'd given his life, given up everything to follow Jesus, seen Jesus do all these miracles. We even got to be part of it, followed him, journeyed around with him, and then only to what? To see all his hopes and dreams crushed as Jesus died. But before Jesus died, Peter makes this egocentric boast of like, hey God, sorry, hey Jesus, in front of all his mates and disciples, everyone else here might fail you and desert you, but I never will. And then Jesus goes off to pray and he says, hey, can you guys pray for me because I'm about to be betrayed. This is the biggest night these last three years have been leading up to. And then Jesus comes back and he finds Peter asleep. And then Jesus, the guards come and Jesus gets arrested. And what does Peter do? I'll jump up. I'll save the day. Pulls out his sword and cuts the ear off the servant of the high priest. Only to have Jesus turn at that moment, rebuke him in front of all his mates. And then have to heal his ear. And then get arrested. All the disciples scatter. And Peter's like, hey, I'm not going to scatter. So he follows Jesus into the courtyard where he's being trialed and then three times he blatantly lies and denies ever knowing Jesus and as the words came out of his mouth on that third occasion two things happened the rooster crowed and Jesus turned and looked at Peter and he went out and he wept bitterly because all of his strength all of his ego Statistical boasting led to nothing but failing. And now, nearly two weeks after, he's seen Jesus resurrected on two occasions, but they've never reconciled this. They've never talked through the, his failings. And so he goes back to Galilee. He goes what back to what is familiar. I'll go back to what I know. I'm going to go fishing. That's, that was his trade. It's like me going back to electrical. He goes back to fishing. And that night, Nothing. Not a fish. This is what he's good at. This is what he's used to. This is what he did to provide for his family and couldn't, couldn't haul in one fish. I, I wonder how long was that night? How long was that night? As cast after cast after cast after cast brought nothing. I, I wonder what was the internal conversation going on in Peter's head I'm sorry to project but mine would have been like this can't even do this right I can't even do this right why do I even bother why am I even here why don't when I cast why don't I just dive in with it that level of hopelessness is it even is it even worth getting through the night in this spiritual loss, this dark night of the soul. And then Jesus appears. Happens early in the morning. Jesus is standing on the shore. There's a fire going. There's fish on it. And he calls out to them and says, why don't you throw your... Actually, I would have loved it. Like, have you got any fish? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for noticing. Do <laughs> you want to try the other side? Don't you love that? Anyone a tradesman here? Do you just love it when the customer tells you how to do the job? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. So. Some guy on the beach, you've been fishing all night, 
But anyway, he throws the net on the other side. And, and, and miraculous things happen in this. The, the, the net's so full of fish that they, they can't haul it in. And, and then John whispers to Peter, that's the Lord. That's not some stranger. That's the Lord. And Peter rushes in and they have this encounter through this miraculous uh, occasion. There's, there's, there's many things that we can draw out here but, uh, and kind of press into and I, we don't have time and I don't want to go into too many but there's like just a couple that are worth noting. But I just love how Jesus appears. And, and I don't understand it. I really don't. Like why did Jesus appear like at, at, the, at the crack of dawn rather than at 7 p.m. that night, or even 10 p.m. Hey, we've been fishing a few hours, we didn't get it. Why didn't Jesus just appear then? No, he, he waits till that last moment when the sun is just starting to rise. And, and then he appears. I, I don't get that, but that is how God works so often. You know, as I went through my hard period of, of divorce and separation and singleness as a single dad, I, I wish God had told me early on, don't worry, you're going to marry Tracy. You're, you're, you're going to be just fine. But he didn't. He waited till I went through that dark night of the soul. Can I, can I tell you, can I interrupt where you might be at this morning and really echo the words that Kirk has already bred, uh, brought to us this morning? There's a kiss of mercy today of God. There's an invitation of God, that if you're in a place where you're feeling lost, where you're feeling like, you know, it's my career or it's my parenting or it's my marriage or there's something in your life where you're like, I feel like I'm in front of that rock wall and covered in lantana bushes and I feel lost. I, I want you to know Jesus is appearing for you this morning. And you may not feel him or sense him right now, but I want you to know that he's here. And he's reaching out to you. It's like Jacob in Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, where Jacob has his dream and he sees, the, he sees heaven opening and the angels of heaven ascending and descending. And his words when he wakes up, he says, wow, surely the presence of God was here and I was not aware of it. You know, that's what the dark night of the soul is like. It's, it's not like God's left you. He's there, but it, it's for whatever reason, he lets you wrestle through it and then he appears, but he's always there. My favorite verse in the scriptures, Acts, Acts chapter 17, it says that God has placed us in this time and place for each human being to, to live here and now so that through whatever circumstances we have in life, we'd reach out for God and discover what? That he's close to every one of us. That's what happened for Peter. As he wrestled through this dark night, this long night of fishing, this long two weeks of emptiness and brokenness of soul, and then Jesus appears. The second miracle that happens is obviously this miraculous catch of fish. And, and then there's this, this third one where they turn up and then Jesus is there on the beach and he's already got fish cooking. There's already a fire going. The barbecue's already happening. It's like, well, how, how did that happen? I, I, I don't know. But something where, as I've been pressing into this scripture over the last few weeks or months really, that the Lord's been showing me just... Just how often God comes and meets us and through the Gospels particularly that Jesus comes and ushers in the kingdom of God over a meal. It's always over a meal. Like you, you think about like the feeding of the 5,000, maybe that's the, that's the biggest one. 
Wow, big manifestation, demonstration of the kingdom of God. Jesus meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a searching person. He's hiding up in a tree. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? Because I'm going to have dinner at your house. We're doing dinner tonight. Guzman and Gomez, takeaway. We're grabbing it. Jesus had dinner at the house of a Pharisee. He had dinner at the house of Mary and Martha, the Last Supper, just last week. How did Jesus tell his disciples and show his disciples what was going to happen through his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection? He gave them a meal. The disciples on the road to Damascus, they're walking along with Jesus. Jesus is opening the scriptures to them. Their hearts are burning with him. But when they, when they got there and they settled down, and it says, when he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, if anyone opens the door, I'll come in to him. And what? I'll eat with him and he'll eat with me. Revelation 19, the, the end time of all things, there's a thing called the marriage feast of the Lamb. I think they're going to serve in and out burger, personally, if you've ever been to America. It's so, so good. And I, I just see this all through the scriptures where Jesus here, he's got burning coals and he's got fish on the fire and he brings the kingdom of God into Peter's life. Why, why, does he, why is it always around food? Because food meant fellowship and food meant intimacy. And some, so often what grieves me as growing up in the church and being around church so much is we make it so religious and we make it so about what we should do or could do or ought to do and what we're not doing. And really what the easiest thing we could do is make a cup of tea and a piece of peanut butter toast and sit on the veranda and sit with Jesus. Because that's who God is. He's the triune God who exists in perfect fellowship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his gospel of invitation is the gospel to enter into that fellowship with him. In true int intimacy, in true mystery, to be sure. John 17, Jesus' prayer is this. This is eternal life, that they may know you. They may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The answer to Peter's long, dark night of the soul was not about catching fish. It was a revelation of the risen Jesus. And it was the entering into this fellowship of mystical union as with Father, Son and Holy Spirit over a breakfast of barbecued fish and bread. John Campbell writes this, that the dark night of the soul comes just before revelation. When everything is lost and all seems darkness, then comes the new life, and that is what is needed. Mystical union. When I see this picture of, of Peter meeting Jesus on the beach and sharing a meal, and then Jesus says, we have a conversation that's heart to heart, and then Jesus says, let's go for a walk on the beach, and they walk together shoulder to shoulder, two men walking along the beach. I, I can't help but, but think back to, to Genesis and the fall of man where in one afternoon when it was cool, the Lord God came walking in the garden. And he's calling out, Adam, hey, Adam, we're, we're, we're going for a walk. Where are you? And Adam is in sin and he's hiding in shame. And Jesus comes and rescues him, pulls him out of that shame. But 
he didn't get to go on the walk. And if you just lend me some exegetical license here, to me this story is that Peter gets to take the walk with Jesus that Adam missed out on. Because that's the message of the cross. Because that's the message of resurrection, that you don't get what you deserve. You get to be invited into this mystical union of fellowship and intimacy with God and it can just be as simple as a walk along the beach. It can be as simple as peanut butter toast. We're invited into that same space and I'm sorry, I apologise if this is what the Lord's showing me and reminding me in my life and calling me back into and if, if this message is just for me and irrelevant to all of you then I'm just going to listen to it again when I drive home tomorrow. But I feel like the Lord's got an invitation for us to be refreshed and an invitation to come back into that space of intimacy, of knowing him. And, and I, I think we can learn a few things from Peter's journey and because Jesus is calling us the same way. That this risen Jesus, he, he invites us into a life-growing journey of intimacy with him and it's characterised by honest vulnerability. Honest vulnerability. You know... I'm glad I'm not Jesus and and so is Peter because if that morning happened for me, I wouldn't have been like, hey, just grab some fish and let's have a meal together. I would have been like with Peter, hey, you and I step aside. So where do we start? Do we start with the servant's ear? Do we start with you falling asleep? What was going on? I'd want some answers, wouldn't you? You've just been let down by your maybe dearest friend who's bragged about never letting you down. But Jesus doesn't go there. He goes not to behavioural management. He goes to the heart of the matter. And as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus in his grace gives Peter three opportunities to tell him and remind Peter himself that you actually do love me. You actually do love me. And in this way, Jesus is really, for Peter, reconnecting his heart to his head or his head to his heart. But there's, there's a level of like wisdom in this, in Jesus' leadership. Uh, there's a guy, Dr. Curtis, Curtis Chapman. Yes, Curtis Chapman, he, a profound book, a Christian psychiatrist, on the, the, the soul of shame. And, and, and I can see Peter, like you could imagine the, the shame that Peter is feeling right now. A sense of unworthiness. The other disciples, they're murmuring, right? People are people, right? They're in the back of the boat and saying, do you know why we're not catching fish? Peter, did you hear what he did? Three times. Three, really? Three times. Three times. The murmurings are happening. Peter doesn't feel accepted or worthy to be around his disciples doesn't feel worthy to be around Jesus, and this is what shame does, right? And, and Curtis Chapman describes the evil work of shame, that it disintegrates ourselves in our mind and our soul, and so we're not living as ourselves, and it disintegrates our relationships with each other, so we isolate, and it disintegrates our relationship with God because we feel this not worthy, and then there's this narrative that comes so profoundly and so strongly that just reinforces it, reinforces it. So what we do, we pull back and we withdraw into that, what we think is a safe place, but it only reinforces shame. So it's shame upon shame upon shame. And Curtis Chapman describes that the the way out of shame is the opposite of what you think. 
You think, oh, I'll get out of shame by making myself safe. No, he says, the way out of shame is vulnerability. The way out of shame is coming back to the heart of the matter. And that's what Jesus does with Peter. He brings him back to the heart of the matter. And as he does that, he actually heals him of his shame. One of my favourite preachers, um, at least in the vineyard, Rich Nathan, uh, he was uh, from the Columbus Vineyard. I, I still listen to their podcast. It's wonderful. But he was preaching the other week and he talked about kindness. And he was talking about when he wasn't kind as a younger person and how he'd, he'd kind of teased and mocked and ridiculed this, this young lady for whatever reason. And he still remember. And he said, you know, I still bring this to the Lord and I say, God, would you bless that lady, that young lady? Would you bless her and, and forgive me for what I did and said? And, and, and when I heard that, I thought, wow, God, I just love his vulnerability because I know, Lord, that I still try to bring you my best, don't I? I grew up in the church where you came to church in your Sunday best and you put on your Sunday best. And I was the pastor's son, so I had to be the best. And I, far from what, I got kicked out of Sunday school more than anyone else. But, there, but, but I know I've taken that into my relationship with God where I just try to tell you the, my best. But, but Peter, in his beautiful vulnerability, he says, Lord, you know all things. My failings, my shame, but you know I love you. There's an intimacy we get to walk with God that is, is characterized in honest vulnerability and it doesn't bring rejection or condemnation, it brings healing. Could I just offer that to you this morning? If you're thinking that, hey, I just got to perform my best for God, for him to like me, can I just say that's just a lie? That's not God, that's not the Holy Spirit. Secondly, you know what this has characterized, this journey of intimacy with God? It's this lack of comparison. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. Jesus and Peter are walking along the beach, and Peter looks back and says, well, what about him? What about John? Is it him or is it me? Like, who's the favorite? And, and Jesus is like, don't worry about him. That's his story. I can do whatever I want with him. But you, you follow me. You fix your eyes on me. Do you know when we compare, two things happen. It's a stupid thing to do, but I do it all the time. We're, we're either just push ourselves lower and heap the shame upon ourselves because we don't measure up, or, and that just reinforces the narrative. Or we say, well, I'm not, I'm not great, but I'm better than them. We just, so it's either shame or pride. Nothing good comes from comparison. You ever been in church and you hear a really good message, Kirk's on fire or Scotty's on fire and they're preaching and you go, gee, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this today. They could really do with a dose of this one. You laugh because we've all done it, right? This is a good word. And then you, you text them, oh, sorry, I missed you today. You might want to listen to the message. You miss, you miss what the gift is right there for you because you're living someone else's story. You know, there's a humility that Peter steps into as he turns away from John and he obeys Jesus' command to follow him. And it's lived out for the rest of his life that even upon his death, and Jesus says it here, that when you're older, someone else is going to stretch out your hands and they're going to guide you and that's how you're going to 
that's how you're going to die. Peter was crucified like Jesus was, but in his humility, he said, I, I don't want to die like Jesus did, so turn me upside down. And he was crucified upside down, so no one ever, would ever compare him to be like the Saviour. Peter was shifted from this moment. We don't see the big braggadocious, you know, boastful Peter, everyone else will fail, but I never will. You know, Acts chapter 2, a couple of weeks later, about 30, 40 days later, Peter stands up and says, can I tell you what's happening here? It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about this wonderful man, Jesus, and he's making himself known to you. You won't get to that place while we're looking back to see who else is doing what we're doing or not doing. And lastly, and if you haven't heard anything, I think this is what the Lord has for you today. This journey of intimacy and knowing God, it's a journey of life that is continually renewed in vision and calling. I imagine Jesus was on the beach knowing what was about to happen with a sense of excitement and almost like, God, watch this one. No one else will get this, but Peter will. And then knowing that they hadn't caught any fish, he says, hey, just throw your net on the other side. And they do, and there's this abundance of fish. Why was that so meaningful to Peter? Because when, Peter, when Jesus first called Peter, the same thing happened. And when Je Peter saw the abundance of fish in Luke chapter 5, and he saw Jesus, he fell at his knees, and he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, no, you get up, because you're going to be a fisher of men. And now at the end of when Peter is in his midst of shame, Jesus says, no, you're going to be a fisher of men. You follow me again. This is the sign. I'm still moving in your life. And I just feel like I have a, a word from the Lord that is from, for Pine River's Vineyard. And, and Kirk, if I can, it just, it comes from our, our, our late dear friend Mark, who was often to remind me that God is not shy to repeat himself. And whatever calling that is on the Pine River's Vineyard, the Lord is speaking it again. Can I show you? I, just, do I, I don't even know what the time is. Do I, one quick story. Can I show you what this is like? So a couple of years ago, uh, the Lord started speaking to me because I'd been out of ministry, not doing anything. And the Lord started, I was walking along the beach actually, and the Lord started stirring my heart saying, you're going to be preaching again. And this thing started stirring in my spirit. And there was a couple of conferences where that stirring came out and it was a bit embarrassing. But when I was pastoring full time, and every, every weekend as I'd finished the preparation of my preach, my notes would be like that, I'd pick up my guitar in my office when no one else was around, and I'd play this one line of this old John Wimber song called The Praise Song. And this line that I, I would sing and play over my, over my notes and over this preach was this, come, Lord, come, Spirit of God, breathe life into these words of love. Do you know that song? Come now, Spirit of God. Breathe life into these words of love. And I just play it over. I'm like, God, that's my prayer. Take my many words and get rid of them, but let your spirit breathe life into this thing. And as God was stirring me a couple of years ago that, hey, this is going to happen again. You're going you're gonna to preach again. I'm like, really? I'm not pastoring. How is this? I went and visited a church on a Sunday evening, and it was kind of strange, a little bit different to what I normally would do as far as church life. And at the end of it, they had this visiting uh, pastor minister, and he said, we're going to do this weird thing. It's called a fire tunnel. And I'm like, oh, this is even more weird than I've done before. But 
Anyway, it's like we're going to all line up on two lines and you're going to walk down this thing and as you walk down, people are going to prophesy over you and pray over you. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, when in Rome, do it the Rome. So, so step up, right? And they got the keyboardist up on the stage and she's playing her songs and, and, and I think I was like the first or second one, me and my son were the first or second one and I step into this tunnel and as I step into the tunnel, the keyboardist changes her song and she plays, come now, Spirit of God, breathe life into these words of love. Oh my God, you are not shy to repeat yourself. And I got to the end of the tunnel, and no one else knew what was happening. No one had any idea what had just happened to me. But I'd just hold in a net of fish. A couple of weeks ago, I, was, um, I, I felt the, the Spirit of God on me wanting to say something. And I had to do an errand later after dinner. And so I went up to this local shopping centre where all the shops were closed except for the chemist. And I I went to the chemist and then I felt this stirring of the spirit. I'm like, God, you want to say something, don't you? And and I'm like, I know there's this spot where I like to sit and pray just down the the end of this road. And so I drove down there and there was a parking space right across where I wanted to stop. And, And I stopped and I pulled into this parking space and there was this billboard, electronic billboard there. And it was an advertisement for the, the, what's the heart, the, Voice from the heart, right? It was, a, it was a billboard for that. And it said, history is calling. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I felt like the Lord said, look at it again. And I read it again, and it said, his story is calling. And as I, I drove up here yesterday, I felt for the Pine Rivers Vineyard, his story is calling. And God's not shy to repeat himself. Continue to build bridges into the community for people to access the kingdom of God. Build bridges and not walls. I love that you're doing alpha. That God bless that. And, and the, the other word I felt like I had even this morning, if you're not part of that, if you're not one of the bridge builders, if, if you're not serving in this place, jump on board. Be one of the ones that pull in the net with all the fish in it, because God is repeating himself. He's affirming his call on this place to bring the kingdom of God. And it's going to be characterized by this mystical union of intimacy of knowing him and testimony of testimony and testimony of people who said, I met Jesus on the beach. We had barbecue together and he changed my life. Would you stand and pray? I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know God's on your case. Father, would you come? Come now, Spirit of God. Breathe life into these words of love. Come now, Spirit of God. Breathe life into these words of love. 